0: And this letter isn't to one of the churches in Revelation, it's to this church. And so I get the uh, honor of sitting before the Lord Jesus for him to be able to share a word with you today. And this is a word that began with a word that came to me. Now, if you're new this morning, especially, and you're like, well, what are these letters that's going on? It's We've sort of been endeared to these letters this summer. Have you enjoyed the series? Climbing into the life of real-life churches in real-life situations, and though they were written 2,000 years ago, they are very relevant for today. You ever found a letter that had been lost that you cherished? You're like, oh, this is an incredible letter. I forgot all about that. Have you ever found a letter that you wish you hadn't found again? I and my son was going through some old stuff, uh, and he found letters from my college days. Some to my wife, which were good. And then he found some other letters to some other girlfriends, and that wasn't good. I'm like, what are you doing? Just, just, you know, get rid of that stuff, right? And he's like, I got something to hang over your head, Dad, you bet, right? But think about it. Jesus Christ wanted letters to be written to churches to encourage and inspire them because he knew that churches were on the brink, on the brink of doing great things in this world or on the brink of being crushed by this world. And so we've endeared ourselves to these seven letters. And each of these seven letters have had a particular truth in them. But to understand the letters, you really have to recapture again that vision that John had when he received the letters. John was an apostle of Jesus. After Jesus died, rose from the grave, ascended to the heavens, the disciples of Jesus flourished in the known world at that time, taking the good news that Jesus rose from the dead, yes, and there's a new life and hope in him, but that he can change and transform anyone who does what those who will be baptized today want to declare that they are a believer and a follower of Jesus. And so the Spirit of God does come and change people from the inside out. But there was John on the island of Patmos, somewhere around the year 90. The red circle. And Jesus appeared to him. Remember how it was framed? He heard a loud voice behind him, and when he turned, he saw... Seven golden lampstands, and one that walked among the lampstands. And he declared to John to write down what he would see, and the one who he turned around to see, he he was radiant in glory. He was clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet. He had a golden sash across his chest, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when the Apostle John turned around to see this Jesus, he fell at his feet as though dead. And Jesus laid his right hand on him and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And he said, Then I want you to write what you have seen, what is and what will be, and send it to these seven churches. And so we walked through Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and last week, Laodicea. And if you wanted to to sum up what they were saying, this is how you would sum it up. Ephesus, you need to rekindle your desire for your first love. A lot of things going well, but you've lost your first love. Remember, repent and return. Smyrna. Smyrna didn't have a lot of negative words; in fact, really none, spoken to them. But there was fear, and the charge was overcoming your fear. You need to do that. Then just stay faithful, and God will see you through. Pergamum. Pergamum was up against the law because it was a you know a, a, a sort of a government kind of city. Said, guard your heart against false teaching. It was the place where Jesus said, I know that Satan is where you are. Thyatira, don't tolerate false teachings or immorality or anything else that they'd sort of succumb to because they were compromising their faith. And so he called them out. And Sardis, Sardis, they thought they were pretty alive. Jesus said, You're not alive, you're dead. Strengthening what remains? The Lord would say, wake up. Philadelphia. No words of condemnation. He was just admiring this small town church. And he said, hold fast to your faith. Persevere. Because I'm going to open doors of opportunity for you. In Laodicea last week, some good things happening there, but Jesus was just spot on with them. And he said, I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And he said, zealously, I want you to repent and don't be lukewarm. So those are, in a nutshell, the series that we've been through. Those are words for each of us, probably at some season of our life today. Jesus wants to write you a letter. He wants to endear Himself to you. He is ever-present. And He's not present as the meek and lowly Jesus or the baby Jesus in the manger we celebrate at Christmas or even Jesus as the one who died on the cross merely. But Jesus in His full resurrected kingdom glory, the one who will come again, and everybody will step back and go, whoa, this is the ultimate reality. So that Jesus, He's alive and active. He's alive and active in individual's life. He can be alive and active in your life if you choose to surrender your life and follow after him. He won't press you or coerce you, but he desires to have a relationship with you. But he's also alive and active in every church. And he's been alive and active in this church from its beginning. And so today, I'm going to share with you some thoughts. I am not saying to you, I am a prophet that this is Scripture by any means. These are words that I felt came to my heart in a humble manner as I just sat before the Lord, even this week, and said, Lord, what is it? What is it that you would have for us as a body? And so, to the angel of the awakening church in the Temecula Valley, doesn't that make you excited? It makes me excited. Like, wow. <laughs> well, let's get at this. This is pretty cool. There's the Temecula Valley. You live in that expanse somewhere. Unless you're out of town, I guess, and that's cool. Jesus watches over our valley. Jesus longs for our valley to have life. And Jesus wants to use you, wants to use us, to be able to discover what? that life is. So here we go. To the Angel of the Awakening Church in the Temecula Valley, right. These are the words of him who is faithful and true, who stands in your midst as the beginning and the end. In 2004, 12 years ago, this church began in French Valley. Houses popping up everywhere. Some of you bought those houses. You've been here a while. And God called a couple by the name of Dave and Elena Reynolds to start a new church in this part of the greater Temecula Valley. Jesus was there in prompting on their hearts to begin a church, a church that would be able to reach the many people moving in and the growth of the area, to be able to reach and encourage people to have New life in Jesus Christ. And that same Jesus that prompted them to start this church is the same Jesus who remains faithful and true to this church this very day. And He is the one who stands in our midst. Remember how we talked about Him who's clothed in a robe and He's here and and there's a few times I said it's like Jesus walking through the front door and we're like, here He is! And everybody would turn, right? Jesus wants us to know each and every week whether you're high, whether you're low, whether worship's good, the worship's flat, Jesus is in our midst. And He is the one from beginning to end who knows all things. It's an interesting Sunday because it was three years ago, this very Sunday, that was the last Sunday that Dave and Elena Reynolds were your pastor and pastor's wife. You realize that? Some of you are saying, wow, that, that moved pretty fast. It does. I had the privilege of arriving with my family, even though they were a little bit stragglers, getting moved here eventually. That fall, I shared with you the first week of September, three years ago. We've been on a journey as a church for sure when the church moved into these facilities, highs and lows, those kinds of things, comings and goings, But God has remained faithful and true to us as a body. And He stands in our midst and from the beginning to the end. He is the reason we are here. We are the body. He is the head. Jesus is the leader of this church. Not me, not the elders. He is the leader. And we submit to all that he's calling us to do. And so we tune our ears to him. I know where you come from. And where you desire to go. You are on the brink. The days before you will far exceed those behind if you choose carefully to order each day with passionate devotion to me, grace-giving actions of love to one another, and a zealous heart to expand my kingdom on earth to all. If full obedience does not abound, then I will not abide. And your lampstand will be removed from the valley. Now, the first part of that section is easy and inspirational to write. But I want you to know that last sentence was hard for me to write. But it's a sentence he writes not only to this church, but he writes to every church. The light that Jesus Christ brings to bring transformation, him, the lampstand, will be removed if we do not abound In full obedience and abide in Him. We're going to come back to this section, but it's the reality that I truly feel, and some of you I know feel this way that we as a church are on the brink. We're on the brink of some really good things. But Satan doesn't want us to be on the brink of busting out and breaking out and having a broader influence in this valley. Yay, nay, how many people show up on a Sunday morning or what our name is or isn't in a valley. He does not want lives to be changed. Lives that you know, whether they're your friends, your co-workers, family members, maybe your enemies. He does not want their lives changed. And so he will fight at every turn, the torpedo every church. And he will get them distracted on things that are not of ultimate significance. And to be honest... I've been in church ministry for 35 years. I've been a part of a large church on staff. I was a part of a struggling church that did some turnaround work. I was a part of a church that merged with another church. I was a part of a, a church that uh, was, I, it was just us in the youth group as little kids. I've been a part of churches where there's impact and glory happening every Sunday and I can't just wait to show up and see all that God does. I've started a church. And I've seen that church grow to a large church. I've seen that very church start other multi-site churches. I've been around church stuff. And I can tell you over the years that I've been a pastor in various churches, and even coming here, it's easy for us to get distracted on the wrong things. Whether those be numbers, popularity, you know, what programs we have or don't have. Jesus wants to change lives. And He does it through the empowerment of His Spirit Coming in to indwell people as they repent and they turn towards Christ and he begins to change them. Does everything start to go happy go lucky? No. But he begins to change them. He wants to do that to every single rooftop you see in this valley. And there's a lot of them. And finally, after the 08 bust, there's a whole new set of them. All kinds of builders. In fact, some of you know this, majority of you don't. My wife and I have decided to step into a new mission field. And we are building a home in a subdivision. And part of the reason we're moving from some acreage that we were on in a rented place since we moved here was because Jesus says, I want to change lives. I want to change lives. Not that we couldn't in our little five acre parcel that we were renting, but we're going to have neighbors. And for a kid that grew up on the farm in the middle of thousands of acres, and you look distance, and you're by yourself, that's a little bit of trepidation for me. It's like neighbors. There's a lot of rooftops. But behind those rooftops, and I drive, you, you drive them, are real lives, real people, real family, and Jesus wants to see them changed. And we are on the brink of being able to more effectively do that. It goes back to 'O4 and effectiveness there. Hit some skids, some tough times here or there. God renewed, brought about change. Dave and Elena went off to start help other people start new churches in our denomination across the United States. They still actually live in the area. God brought me here not to change anything that Jesus wanted to do from the beginning because he's the head. And Jesus says... I know where you come from. And I know the desire of where you want to go. You are on the brink. But that brink issue is determined by full obedience. The letter to the church at the awakening goes on and says this. Request of me for the river of the water of life. To refresh your soul. I think it's been three months since I've seen rain. Is that right? I miss rain. I miss water. I miss driving over bridges that say river and actually seeing water in the river and was hard for me to get used to coming from the Midwest. But literally, as as we think in terms of we're at the end of the summer, right, and heading into the fall, but fall sort of hangs with lingering weather issues, heat. And, and I thought, you know, God, this is just so true. We need the water of life to refresh all of our souls. Do you know that this whole instance this river of the water of life and this happened in the seven letters that we looked at that jesus would grab a hold of something else in the whole book of revelation and bring it sort of back in to articulate who he was and what he was about that this concept of the river of the water of life do you know where that's found that's found in scripture at the back of the book of revelation after what's articulated as the new heaven and the new earth the new jerusalem coming down listen to this Look at these words. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation's. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Friends, that's the back of the book and we win. We win. And in the middle of the New Jerusalem, the city flows a river of the water of life. And whether literally or symbolically, it talks about the refreshment and the life that springs from the one who reigns forever. And who we will see and declare on that day. There's a couple other passages I want to reference that are in Scripture. Referring to this whole concept of water and life. They're found by the Apostle John in his gospel so he was familiar with this when he came to write the book of Revelation as revealed to him. John fourteen thirteen, when Jesus was at the well with the Samaritan woman, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. She was pulling buckets of water from a well and he asked to have water. And he says this statement, But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Three chapters later in John. It says this, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this He meant the Spirit, with whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within him. And that living water is Christ himself. So let's go back to the letter. Request of me. Next slide. Request of me. For the river of the water of life to refresh your soul. Bask, cleanse, drink, and be enriched in the joy of my living water. Oh, for the rapids of renewal. To gush through your parched lands and an abundance of fruit to spring from your vineyards. I am the one who throws open the floodgates of heaven. For behold, I am the giver of power and patient endurance. To the end. Friends, I personally feel that we as a church are on the brink. And we are on the brink of going in one of two directions. But we need to know that it's not us who can make it happen. That is going in the good direction. It's Jesus and his life flowing through us. A river of life for parched lands. Maybe you're parched here this morning. Maybe you're in a dry and desert place and you're like, yeah, bring on the well water. Jesus is available for you to bring His freshness. And for us, He can open the floodgates of heaven. He can bring refreshment to our parched lands as well as to our soul. And He can make vineyards, which this area is known for, richer and richer. I I drove through some of the, the... The farmlands, I guess, around here, sort of just north of town, out towards Hemet and there around and over in Menifee. And you know what happens to the dirt around here if you put water to it? It grows stuff. All those irrigated fields, you go from dirt brown to lush green. But why is it lush green? Because it's being refreshed with water from the well, the well source of Jesus Christ. Jesus can take a church that's had some tough times and his water can refresh it and it can grow and blossom and be green. But we turn our hearts towards him. Our souls get turned towards him that we ourselves bask, we cleanse, we drink and we become enriched in the joy of the living water of Jesus Christ himself. That's why I'm glad we're partying today. Sometimes church is boring. Sometimes church is just a ritual you feel you should do so you feel better with God. Don't go to church for those reasons. Go to church because you want to worship and honor Him and hear from Him. But I like to have good times. And Jesus, whether in worship or whether in the Word, whether fellowship afterwards, whatever it may be, Jesus wants His joy to abound in our community. And if we don't have joy abounding in our souls, it won't abound in our body. And if it doesn't abound in our body, then we are a parched church and it will never blossom into fruit. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And he says, be enriched in the joy of my living water. Oh, for the rapids of renewal to gush forth from the parched lands. I envision it sometimes as coming down from, is it the Santa Ana hills? I still get confused with names on hills, mountains, whatever you call them around here. But to think about it, just sort of flowing down Rancho, California, a big stream and just flooding the area of the valley. Wouldn't it be different? It would be green except for the, what, two months of the year? February, March, maybe a little bit of April. It's a vision that came to my heart, Lord, open the floodgates of heaven. For we know that you are the giver of power and you are the giver of patient endurance to the end. And then I conclude it this way. Words possibly of Jesus as he would speak if he were standing here today. I come quickly to bring judgment and establish my reign of glory. To him who overcomes, I will grant full participation with me in that final day and the hour of your present need. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. I don't know what it is about this political go-around this time or maybe the stuff I observe on news reports. But I want to shout Maranatha. Which means. Come Lord Jesus. And it may be 2,000 years. But in scripture it says that with God. One day is a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. And though Jesus has tarried for 2,000 years. It's only been two days to him. He could come back in our day tomorrow. Or he could choose to wait another thousand years. I don't know. But I do know in the sight of Jesus Christ, from the big picture of eternity, his judgment will come quickly upon a world. And it's not a judgment for mostly, as we think of judgment, as wrath. His judgment is righteousness in making that which is wrong right and restoring what he intended from creation in the Garden of Eden to move forward into all of eternity with a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus is about restoring. And judgment has to do with making that which is broken and that which is wrong and that which grieves our soul, making it right. And he says, I come quickly to bring judgment. For those who are not interested in being a follower of Jesus, to be refreshed by the river of the water of life and his joy, then he says, depart from me. But for those who choose to follow him and believe in him, He embraces them and says, let's go into that eternal realm. And he says, I bring judgment and I will establish my reign of glory to him, to you people. If you overcome, I will grant full participation with me in that final day and in the hour of your present need. I want to go back to three things that are spoken in the front part of what we just looked at. It says this. I know where you come from and where you desire to go. You are on the brink. These days before you will far exceed those behind if we choose carefully to order each day with three things. Passionate devotion to me. Grace giving actions of love to one another and a zealous heart to expand my kingdom on the earth to all. Full obedience. I'm actually going to extend some of these words into next Sunday. I trust that you'll be able to be here. But I want to lean into those three bullet points and say this. We need to be passionately devoted to Jesus. Are you scared to do that? Are you scared to be a part of a church that's a little over the top in other people's minds concerning their desire to know and follow Jesus? If you're apprehensive, hang with us. I believe you'll see that that's not a bad place to go. But I do know that through transitions of churches and all the churches that I've ever been in, that I've had individuals... Say to me, thanks, Carrie, but no thanks. I will always seek to lead us as a people to be passionately devoted, not to the church, not to me, but to Jesus for mostly. And I want to encourage you to consider doing that in your life. In your seat backs is a card for Rooted. Many of you have gone through Rooted, it's a 10 week journey. Of experiencing God, experiencing your church, and experiencing His purpose for your life. I'll leave it to you to read that. I would love for you to consider being a part of Rooted. A large number, almost all the people baptized today, have gone through Rooted. It's an experience. It's not just a study. Passionate devotion to me. Second is grace giving actions of love to one another. There's another card you were given on your way in. It had to do with community groups. I want to encourage you to consider connecting with others. Not just being on the fringes. Becoming a part of a community or a study where you can become known by others and love others, care for them, and let them care for you. And also on the opposite side of that card is a place to jump in and to serve him because it applies to the last point, to be able to be someone who is willing to see the mission go forward and to serve. I could drill down on each one of those and I could give you a lot of promo for it. But I chose not to do that today for this reason. I don't want to give a pep rally. I want to give you Jesus. And if Jesus is fully alive in your heart, he will cause you to be fully alive to his mission. We're now going to dismiss. We're going to go outside and we're going to baptize ten people who have chosen to say, I want to follow Jesus. We would like to do it as a whole church. To do it as a whole church requires for us to get our kids. And so I'm going to dismiss you to get your kids. I'm going to ask the ushers if they would stand at every door here. There's three. And that's how we're going to take the offering today or for you to place your cards in the baskets today. And if you don't get it done then, you can do it because we're hanging around afterwards. So, parents, you're dismissed to go get your kids. And we are going to meet on this side, the west side of the building, as we continue our service around water.